Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Jay Phantom, former real estate agent now, living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. I got a guest for you all today. Welcome back, everyone, to Storybox Podcast. I am so grateful that you're all uh, returning, or if you are a new listener, welcome. Uh, thank you for supporting everything that we are doing here at the Storybox and building the community. Your support is honestly greatly appreciated, and I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today if it wasn't for you. So thank you so much. Uh, I have wanted to release this episode for quite some time now, but I have never found a good enough time to actually release it. And until now, really. But my next guest is none other than the Matcha Milk Bar, Matcha Maiden, and CZA Queen, Sarah Davidson. Sarah is not only the founder of that, she's also a speaker and author of her new book, CZA. And she really dives into her journey from being a lawyer um, turned entrepreneur, and she goes into what that actually means in her book. It's pretty cool. I have my own copy, and I wouldn't recommend it unless I absolutely loved it. So I recommend it. Go and buy it from any bookstore. You're going to love it. It's such a fun book. has a lot of insights into life and why and how we can actually go about seizing our own yay. More than that, Sarah has uh, a podcast called Seize the Yay. Um, not, no surprise there, but <laughs> uh, she has interviewed some of the world's most amazing, incredible people unlocking their own Seize the Yay moments, such as Wim Hof, Gary V, the legend himself, Guy and Jules Sebastian. I'm pretty sure everybody knows who they are. Uh, she really does it all and she has such a bubbly personality. This interview with her, we did back in, in April and I had wanted to speak to her for such a long time. She really brought uh, this amazing happiness and energy in, into this conversation that I know you guys are really going to, to love and get um, quite a bit from. So um, with before we dive into the story box, um, I have a huge favor to ask you. If you do get something from this episode, guys, and I know you will, it is such, it's so much life to this one um, and, and so much amazing content for every single person that is listening. 
But if you do know somebody that is struggling at the moment to really find their own sense of joy, they're stuck at the moment, they don't know where to turn to or go, send them this link, send them this episode. And it's not just to uh, boost my popularity at all. It's really to show them that, hey, there are people out there that are doing amazing, incredible things and they were stuck once like you. So if we can help each other do that, then why not? What is stopping you from doing it? And as simple as spending maybe 10, 30 seconds of your time to really be a change maker, just send the link over. It's so simple in, in today's day and age. You can find a link, send it over, and people can listen to it in their own time. But at least you've done that. You've taken that step, okay? That goes a huge way in building a community that supports each other. And that's what it's really about, supporting one another uh, with these incredible stories like Sarah's. If you do have a chance as well to uh, let us know what you think of this, this episode, all the story, story box in general, like with past episodes, please leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. That, that would help build the community even more. So thank you so much for that. So I'm rambling. I don't want to do that anymore. Let's dive into the story box and hear the happy, the joyful, and the incredible Seize the A founder, Sarah Davidson. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here and thank you for being so patient. No, no, it's an absolute honor, honestly. Like I was saying to you before, I could wait forever until we actually found a good time for you. I'm very appreciative of it. Oh, that's the thing. I think um, it's one of those things, especially now that we're all in such different circumstances and slowing down a little bit more. You realize when you give, when you really wait for the right time for things to happen and you can give it your full attention, I feel like it's so much better. Like I used to really get so excited that I want to force things to happen quicker and sooner and now, now, now. But I think sometimes mm. when you do let things just happen in divine timing, yeah. it all works out exactly how it's meant to. If it's one thing I've learned doing this podcast, it's actually patience. Like yeah. <laughs> you, you feel like you, you don't want to be too pushy, but at the same time, you also realize that people do forget as well. Yeah. And so like you got to, I guess, remind people so it's like, how long do I wait in between before I reach out to them again? It's sort of like those <laughs> those fine areas. <laughs> so it's and you want to be fine nice, balance, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's fun though. It, it teaches you a lot, I guess. So I usually have one question before we dive into sort of your backstory and and why you do what you do, and that is, what is your definition of success? Oh, that's such a great question, uh, and it's definitely changed over time. I think it used to be. Probably a more conventional definition. It was tied up in, I've never been wholly focused on financial metrics, but they definitely played a role. Uh, Coming from a corporate background, I think success is very much linked into promotions and progress and taking certain steps and ticking certain boxes. And so I think I definitely started from a very um, standard understanding of success as, you know, what, what, Broadly, society objectively thinks is mm. successful. You've got a good job. You're kicking goals in that job. You're always going further and higher and learning more. Mm. Um, what has happened over the last few years is I still think, I don't think that, you know, we can throw out the societal standards altogether. I think it's still important to reflect on where you are. Mm. But success has become something to me that's much more internal. It's much more based on whether I am living a life that feels good, uh, mm. combined with being able to look after myself and, you know, provide a livelihood and pay the bills, combined with 
learning and feeling that I'm contributing my skills best to the universe and mm. making the most of my time here. I think it's become so many, so it's, it's, you know, it's so much more multidimensional now than it used to be. Mm. I, I now think, firstly, if you have all the objective boxes, all the money in the world and have ticked everything that everyone else thinks you should, Mm. We've got plenty of examples in society that that doesn't yeah. necessarily make you happy. And what's the point of that? I don't think that's successful if you're unhappy all the time. Mm. I also think that being destitute and totally shunning, you know, needing to pay the bills completely and yes. can also lead to unhappiness. Mm. There's a very fine balance in the middle somewhere where uh, I think it just success is really just to live a purposeful life. Mm. Um, where there's a there's a good balance between between happiness, stability, and and purpose. Was there like a moment that sort of made you realize, as in like a catalyst to sort of like wake you up to that realization, or was it like a gradual thing over time that you started to realize certain things, like a series of events? I think it was a bit of both. It was mm. one big you know defining moment when I ended up going to. Uh, Africa, which was how the, the whole business idea started from getting adrenal fatigue after we came home from Africa. Um, I got a gut parasite over there. We had the most incredible mm. time volunteering in a school, but I also got really sick when I came back, went straight back to work, worked myself into the ground, um, didn't even realize I'd lost 10 kilos from the parasite, 15 wow. kilos towards the end, and um, got really, really sick. And I think that that moment was the beginning of realizing I was putting everything on the line for this job, but did I, you know, why was I letting the job be a hundred percent of my time? You know, is that the meaning of life? Am I just here to have this job and go up the ladder? That started me thinking I'm, you know, I wasn't actually that keen to go back. I wasn't, I wanted to feel better, but I wasn't missing that job. And I thought, mm. actually, when I look at my superiors, I don't want to be any of my bosses. I don't actually want to be in their shoes. And so mm. I'm like, well, what am I doing? If I don't want to go any further up, where do I want to go? And, you know, through that time of learning to look after myself and, and get better, uh, that's when we discovered, because I was banned from coffee, we discovered matcha. And through realizing that there was a big gap in the market for selling that matcha, mm. you know, in a really cool Instagrammable trendy way. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it started as a hobby um, and we never, never thought it would become a business. But even before we went live as a business, I realized that this whole world of creating and uh, learning and getting in touch with wellness and connecting with people and, even, even drawing and designing mm. and getting to know Photoshop, you know, all those things that I'd started to play around with. I thought, I have done this since I was a kid. Yeah. I've always been equal parts nerdy and arty-farty. Mm. Law just only fueled one side and I'd completely forgotten the other side of my personality. Mm. And that's when I started to think, I could be a successful lawyer, but is that a successful life for me yeah. when it involves giving up half of who I am? surely success has to mean that you're happy as well. And that's how the whole like yay idea kind yeah. of came up. Having, was, having um, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Having fun. And obviously not all the time, like, mm. you know, it's called work for a reason. You're not, it's only millennials who have really invented this idea that you need to be fulfilled by your work all the time. Yep. Some days it's hard, but I think you have to at least be happy some of the time mm. or at least put some energy and time aside for joy and pleasure. Yeah. And 
that was nearly five years ago now. And um, I would say that, you know, the, the moment of just opening my eyes to the fact that, oh, my God, you mean law isn't the be-all and end-all? <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> I could do something else and the world wouldn't crash down around yeah. me? That was the first moment. And then, like, every minute since then for five years has been another mm. lesson in just how much more is out there for you when you look hard enough. That's good, Sarah. Did you have like any pressure from yourself or outside to sort of do well in law or was that something that you always wanted to pursue? I think it was um, a bit of both. I, I'd never, my parents were incredibly supportive. I'm adopted, so I don't have oh. Asian tiger parents. I have like white country bumpkin Caucasian. <laughs> So they like, you do whatever you want, we'll support you. Like, you don't have to do law or medicine, it's fine. So I kind of took it upon myself to be really nerdy and I was like, no, I think I want to do law. Uh, so it was a combination of them. They always had instilled in us the idea of like keep the most doors open. Mm. So even if you don't want to be a lawyer, if you can get the marks and you can get in, do do something. If you're not decided, don't do nothing. Just do something and you'll figure it out. Mm. But I think most of the pressure was internal because I've always I've always wanted to make the most of everything. And I think sometimes it's almost too much pressure from myself that I'm like, I need to do well. I need to do, yeah. and I'm so A-type. I'm like, I need to be achieving and successful all the time. Mm. Even if I don't care about what I'm being successful in, I still have to be good at it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it was um, a, a lot of good guidance from my parents and, um, and friends and family, but then towards getting into full-time work, then it was all me. It was all mm. me just wanting to, achieve 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 even though i didn't really know why mm. i didn't necessarily even want the promotion so i was like why why am i trying so hard mm. i just didn't know how to let go of feeling like my identity was to be overdoing everything <laughs> mm. why did you like law so much like was it something in particular that sort of drew you to it I think uh, I so I had a real wild child phase at the start of high school. Um, I went completely off the rails, and then towards the end of BCE, Mum sat me down and had a really big talk to me and was like, "You actually have a brain. You've shown in time, random parts of your school life that when you do apply yourself, you can do really well mm. and be really nerdy. Just give me one year. Just try in year twelve." to get the best score that you can and then see what you do with it because, mm. you know, you don't even know what score you'll get so you don't need to decide what you'll do now. Just give you a year the best and then you can go back and do whatever you want, mm. which was a defining moment because I thought I can get myself together just for one year. Mm. So I worked really hard. Um, I became the uber nerd of life, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was I'm, I'm so extreme. Like I'm either wagging school or I'm like at the library sleeping um, <laughs> and, and I ended up getting to get getting it together and getting um, a, a really good score and so it was more just like well now that all you know now that all the options are open should I do medicine or and I, I was scared of blood so I was like well, well I'm not doing medicine then so it was sort of like a process of elimination it was just more what am I going to do that allows me to do some travel in my degree um, I could go into politics or diplomacy or mm. humanitarian law. I did languages all through school and all through uni. And I've always loved travel and languages. And I thought the degree that's probably going to 
open more doors in terms of using those languages and traveling, um, medicine, maybe not, mm. law, politics, anything humanities, probably more likely. Um, so it really just was a process of elimination. And then once I got into the degree, you sort of just get swept up in, you know, from about second year, they start talking to you about internships for jobs. And then you just do what everyone else is doing. And then by mm. then you've got a job and you're sort of there. And it's like, oh, that is seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I think that's why this whole journey has happened is because I did get so swept up by momentum. And now looking back, I think all of us could eat, like so many of us must be in that same position where we've just been swept up in this tide and not made a conscious choice since then. Mm. But I, I want to remind everyone that at any time you can stop that momentum and jump off the conveyor belt and mm. just decide to get on another one. You're not stuck mm. there forever. That's good. So when was it when you decided to go to Africa and just get a break from from um, your job? Um, well, I'd only been there for eight months. So. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that bad. Pretty early. <laughs> So that happened because Nick, uh, who was who's my husband now, but my partner at the time, he has a creative agency and he uh, had been working on the 5% campaign for YGAP and all the funds for that particular year had gone to a school in, in country Rwanda. So as a sponsor, he was invited to go and visit the school and I, I spoke French and Rwanda had just swapped from French to English, so they had a spot for a French-speaking person and I sort of thought, I've never thought I would end up in Africa, but mm. I've always wanted to do, I, I had always done volunteer work and had always wanted to do a, like a field expedition and to get to go together, you know, I thought this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, no matter what it leads to. Um, I didn't, I hadn't been there long enough to accrue four days of leave. So I definitely didn't have the six weeks that I took, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up just, just buying leave and saying like, I know this is not, so not done. You, not the done to take off time in the first mm. year, but I was like, experience has always meant so much to me. Um, so I got the time off. They were very supportive in the end. And um, we ended up going, yeah, for six weeks and, and living out in Mohanga district and uh, working in this amazing school and like wow. just singing and dancing and speaking in lots of different languages. I learned a bit of Kenya Rwanda and we built oh, classrooms right. and we built each mud brick. It was just absolutely transformative. What an experience. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, everyone thinks that you come back from Africa and you think, oh, I'm so grateful for everything we have here. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's one reaction. Of course, you come back and think we have so much. Mm -hmm. But my main reaction was the opposite, which surprised me so much. I was like, why are they so happy? Yeah. Why are their kids so happy? And we are all anxious and yeah. getting more anxious about the problems that we create for ourselves and all this Spoil. technology that we, we become reliant on. Yeah. yeah. I was like, the kids there were just happy to play with a leaf for six mm. hours mm. and would break into song. And it, yeah, it was my first real reflection on what is happiness. Mm. Wow. Well, that's an incredible experience. I wish I could have experienced something similar for myself, but I haven't been on a plane, so I wouldn't know and never been to a different country. <laughs> so You've never been to a different country? I've been to Vanuatu, but it was sort of like the the high side of life, like visiting the nice islands, but it wasn't really yeah. like poverty or Africa or something like that, like life-changing. 
And I had, yeah. a, I had a bad attitude going into there anyway. So I didn't really take much away apart from the fact that don't have a bad attitude when you're away. <laughs> um, just, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I'm so excited for you. There is whenever travel opens back up again, I think it's one of the most valuable things you can do for yourself because you just, you learn so much about yourself by looking at how other people live. Mm. Yeah, I think every big discovery or revelation or change that I've made in my life has been from going overseas, mm. seeing how other people live, but also just seeing how you are when you're not in your routine and when you're not thinking just out of habit. It's yeah. when you get to really go, oh, mm. why do I do things like that? <laughs> yeah, I think for me, like my realizations have been through experiences at home, like health wise. Mm. and different failures that I've had in my life. So in terms of like going overseas, you mentioned that you collapsed from exhaustion. What do you think brought on that exhaustion? Was it doing too much all at once, the pressure of going back to work or the, I guess, the um, the knowledge that you have to go back to work? And did you enjoy it or? I think it was. Um, the biggest thing that I now reflect on is that I wasn't unhappy in law. It wasn't the best job for me in terms of I didn't use all my talents and all my skills and interests, but it wasn't bad either. So mm. if I had to go back now, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like I was fine. I was grateful. I could learn a lot. Uh, I had great superiors and, but it was fine. You know, it's just fine. And I think what now scares me is that so many people are just fine yeah. and they will never know that it could be amazing because yeah. they're, they're okay with fine. So what I think, you know, ended up making me so unwell was because I wasn't unhappy and I wasn't sort of like, I want to, I want to leave work straight away. Like I wasn't waiting for the clock to you know, be clock off time <laughs> at the end of the day. I had just a, a personality tendency that I a lot of people have this A-type drive to just whatever you're doing, you do it once million percent. Yeah. And I had very few boundaries around like carving out time for myself. I didn't really understand, because it was my first full-time job as well, I didn't really understand that you're meant to have anything else. I just mm. was like, if I had to work late, I work late. If I had to work on the weekend, I worked on the weekend. I didn't sort of, you know, take a lunch break. I'd eat at my desk because I was like, oh, shit, i got lots to do. Mm. I just never thought about the idea of balance. Yeah. And because you can actually survive for quite a while before you crash, yeah. I just kept going and mm. I just like didn't eat properly. I would like get up because I thought of health as just exercise. I had no idea that there was mental health and like other areas of wellness. Yeah. I would get up earlier and have less sleep so that I could go to the gym before work and think that was healthy. Mm. So I, you know, work out, go straight to work, not move for like 15 hours, eat two meals at my desk and then come home, go to sleep mm. and just do nothing else. There was no other form of stimulation. And then on the weekends, I'd just sleep and be a slob. Mm -hmm. And I think I just had no understanding that we have limits, that there's a cup that you need to refill, that you have to actually do nice things for yourself. Yeah. Um, and the collapse was because I was getting all the signs and ignoring them, just mm. completely pushing through. Um, not many people would go and spend six weeks in like rough, um, challenging for your body circumstances and go to work. Like they'd fly in at midnight, go to work at seven. Mm. Like it just was silly the things they used to do. 
Um, and so I ended up literally just collapsing because my body had had enough. I had a full panic attack, couldn't leave mm-hmm. the bathroom, and then I couldn't get out of bed for months. Wow. And it took – it must have been coming for so long because mm-hmm. it took so long to even get any improvement because I just had – I had to be so drastic. I had to really not – work at all I had no devices I had to change my diet completely obviously cut out Mm. coffee I stopped drinking I didn't drink for like six years um I had to really just sleep learn to meditate I had to learn all these things that now I take for granted as like so Mm. obvious but then I was just like what is this world of woo-woo hippie people who are doing all these like (laughs) herbs like acupuncture and stuff (laughs) and then suddenly I understood why because there's like Stress management is a thing, you know, burnout is a thing, anxiety is a thing. Um, And that was uh, the very beginning of me going the complete other direction and suddenly being fascinated in wellness, reading about nutrition, understanding um, about the effects of stimulants like caffeine. And I didn't even know coffee. Like when people say they shouldn't have so many cups of coffee, I I thought it was because they're expensive. Like I didn't (laughs) think it was because you shouldn't have 10 cups of coffee. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I just didn't twig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you, you're young, you don't need a twig. You can do whatever and your body bounces back after like a bender. Yeah. Um, so it was a rude awakening. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I sort of feel similar in, in the sense that last year I was in real estate for six, seven months and working seven days of the week. You get a day off like halfway through the week. It was like one day. But you didn't switch off. Like you're always thinking about mm. the next deal or what the cu- the customer is going to do. Because if you don't speak to them, then your other uh, colleague will speak to them and sort of ruin the relationship there. And like there was all these things that I was worried about for no reason at all. And the fact that my boss mm. was messaging me on my days off, calling me on my days off. And then it was like from eight in the morning to about seven at night. But then even then, your your other had two phones. And they're both going off at the same time because if your boss didn't uh, get you on the one phone, then he gets you on the next phone, like your personal one. So it was like you never Mm -hmm. had a break or time to yourself to unwind. And I was doing something very similar, getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning just so I could exercise, just so I could fit in my exercise because I wouldn't be able to do it later on. And then towards the end of it, I just got fed up. I got so sick and tired of – the routine that I had created for myself and the habit. I mean, I was good at what I did, but I wasn't realizing that my health was suffering. I just didn't feel happy at all. I didn't feel a sense of joy or mm. contentment at all. And mm. like there were other things as well that were going on in, in the job space, which were sort of constricting me and making me feel a very negative and um, very scared, <laughs> I will say. Um, I won't say more, more than that, but um, – it was just like a period of my life where I needed to realize, okay, well, how am I going to get out of this? And it was that cut of being in a place of comfort and being a place of financially stable to then having to leave yeah. all that, not being financially stable, now what? Is <laughs> that massive question that you have for yourself, okay, well, I can get another job, but that's going to take time. But what am I going to do in the meantime for paying my bills and all that sort of stuff. So I completely understand. And I had, I would say, a period where I was trying to find who I was. Didn't have a nervous breakdown, but I had days where I just didn't want to do anything. You know, just 
absolutely deflated, mm. flat. And it took good people around me to sort of say, hey, hey, Jay, get your head out your backside and just <laughs> move, move forward, you know. Like it's we can, we can feel those moments in our life where we just feel absolutely terrible and, and down and out. But you need people around you to pick you, pick you back up. But at the same time, you've got to make that choice to move forward. Did you have anyone around you at that time that was sort of telling you, okay, look, Sarah, pick yourself back up or take your time? Yes, absolutely. My um, my friends and family were wonderfully supportive. Nick particularly, we were already together by then and uh, we were living together. So in terms of being able to, like, I, I literally was so fatigued, I couldn't even drive. Like I couldn't wow. drive myself to get stuff to eat and you know I was really really unwell uh and so having you know a really strong understanding very very patient partner who he'd never gone through it himself so he sort of had no idea like I imagine it was even more scary for him because he's mm. like I don't know how to help her like what she's just not getting better um he was wonderful my mum was wonderful my friends were amazing I, I really think that in any in any big challenge that you go through we do do it for ourselves and by ourselves but you still also really lean on the people around you and it's so much easier to do life with a really strong network of people around you absolutely and even just to get your head right like they're the ones who convince you that you can do it you can get better or you can start that business you are amazing we all are going to have and naturally have a natural inner critic and sometimes we're not loud enough by ourselves to cancel that out. So you need yeah. an actual voice around you just giving you a hug or saying you're not shit because you can't work right now. You know, you're still a good person. You'll get better. You'll see this through. I definitely wouldn't have recovered as quickly or as well as I did without very, very patient, mm. um, loving family. And also Nick was running the business for me at the time because I couldn't work. Mm. So we started, you know, we were starting this this project and then I just got sick mm. um, and was away and I was living in Hong Kong. It was a really, really hard time. But I, I always say it takes a village yep. to do anything. Yeah. They use that. It's an, Af- it's an African proverb and they use it for raising children, but I think it's the same for any part of your life. Mm. Um, but I also think, and I've used this a lot during this coronavirus situation, um, where, you know, so so much of your mind just goes straight to why, why us, why are we going through this, what, you know, and that can happen in any time that you go through a struggle situation. But I really think that the tough times are what make you, mm. when you have the revelations you need to change and to start a new chapter, you don't learn and you don't grow in the comfy times. They're yeah. great. They're yeah. amazing. They're so nice to have and you have to have them, but the strongest, most resilient, developed, wise people I know have only gotten there because of the, the tough times, not mm. not the easy ones. Mm. And same with you. I feel like that would have been the worst, most scary, overwhelming, crappy time. But mm. now you're sort of like, I would never have known everything I know. Absolutely. Unless I had yeah. that. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't go through that. But just being yeah. honest, you know. And at the same time, when I first started in real estate in April last year, I was also going through that first week going through a breakup at the same time of someone that, you know, I had created this mindset for myself that I was going to be with her for the rest of my life. And then having that yeah. like 
crushing thought that you're not. <laughs> it was like very, very hard. It's traumatic. Yeah, it was. It was. And I lost who I was. And I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on uh, work and work my absolute butt off and have nothing else to strive for. And I thought that was it. You know, I thought mm. I was just going to work, work, work. And that was going to be the extent of my life. I found, I thought I found my calling, my career, but no, I feel like, um, there are other plans and other things that God wanted me <laughs> to do. And he sort of enabled yeah. certain aspects of my life to change. And it was just yeah. amazing. Like the, the whole process of me getting out of that job into doing what I'm doing now was incredible and you look back on it and you think mm. well yes i went through a hard time but look where i am now like i'm grateful Absolutely. for that you know and i i actually encourage people to fail i say go try something fail at it you know why because you're going to learn what does what didn't work and you're going to work what does work for next time you know and a friend of mine he told me this this story he's totally. like it's um um a guy in, in the film industry, he's, he was setting up a light and the light broke and then he felt like he was going to get fired as a result and he was apologizing to his supervisor and his supervisor looks at him and he says, um, that's okay. He's like, but aren't I fired? And he said, no, why not? Because I know you're not going to do that next time. You just learned. And I'm like, wow, yeah. that's so true. <laughs> yeah. And, I've yeah. got this um, amazing quote that um, I say to myself all the time, which is, you either win or you learn. There's mm. no other option. Yeah. Like if there's no failure. It's either it goes well and you it's amazing, you won, or it doesn't go well, but you learn something that fixes it for next time. Mm. And like obviously there are some failures or backward steps where you lose a lot of money or where like there, there are always consequences, but that doesn't mean there's not a lesson also in it for you that betters you for next time. So I mm. try to go straight for the lesson searching exercise whenever there's any kind of adversity because it helps you not just spiral and like wallow in the shit part. Mm. Like obviously let yourself feel the emotions you need to feel, but sometimes you can get really, really stuck yeah. in that space. Whereas if you start looking for the lesson straight away, you've got direction, you've got purpose, you suddenly can make sense of it all and it doesn't all just feel like, why me? Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I always say as well, like in failure, you learn one of the most important aspects of human behavior, human life, that's humility because no one likes someone that's mm. up themselves or proud. And so I came up with this, this saying, in failure you learn humility because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you're still a human being despite the fact of everything that you've done in your life, when you strip that all away, what are you? You're still a human like you and I and it's amazing what you're able to accomplish that's fantastic and it, it just makes you more appreciative of that person and for who they are. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to remember where you came from. You've got to remember who you are as a person. I mean, we're all different, which is fantastic, but we've also mm -hmm. got to get along somehow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So for you, Sarah, were there any fears with starting a cafe? Because it's something you've never experienced before. So how did you overcome those fears if you had any? Um, I definitely had fears. I think uh, self-doubt and fear and concern and anxiety at the start of something new is 
I'd almost worry if I didn't have those feelings. Mm. Like that's the signal for me that I'm doing something new and worthy and that's the signal that it's exciting enough. If I'm nervous, I'm doing something good. I'm not complacent. I'm not just assuming that I'm the shit and I'm done learning. Like I'm still taking steps. Mm. Um, I think one of the ways that I help get through that is firstly the village. Surrounding myself with people who will always tell you you're great, you can do it, who will not let those fears overcome you, who will remind you that you've, you know, we'd already built one business by then, we've built Natural mm. Maiden. So that was sort of like, you didn't know anything about food or tea or e-commerce and you did that, so why can't you do this? Mm. I just turned to the right people in those moments. I didn't turn to the people who were going to point out the holes in there. I turned to the people who were going to be like, nah, you've got this, it's amazing, yeah. it'll be great. Mm. Um, but I also think one of the things that really helps with self-doubt is just like, finding the areas that worry you the most and just addressing them. Mm. So like for us, one of the biggest problems was that we wouldn't have that automatic knowledge that someone who's been in hospitality for years and years would to just look at the books and go, that's not working, this is working, you're paying too much for that. We were like, we don't have that and that's probably going to be the biggest downfall. So we're like business partners. Mm. Like, of course, we'll, we'll, we'll only do a venue ever if we do it with friends who have had venues before. Mm. So that's how we ended up with our business partners. And then the next thing was like, obviously, you know, venue fit outs can cost millions of dollars. And then what if it doesn't work? Or what if, you know, it's really hard to make money in hospitality? What if you never make that money back? Yeah. So we were like, well, easy solution to that. Don't invest that much in the fit out. Do as much as you can yourself. Really research ways to get it up and running without needing Italian marble, blah, blah, blah. Like there are so many creative ways to do it. We painted ourselves. Mm. We, you know, chose to really budget things for the things that didn't matter and to only spend money on the things that really did. Like cutlery and crockery, you need to be good quality because yeah. people are using them at a commercial rate. But like random things like flowers and you know, mm. neon lights and stuff like that, you could find someone who did them reasonably. So we opened... Um, an example is I think Kettle Black, uh, which is obviously won design awards and it's been it's such a beautiful cafe, but they co- they spent more than a million dollars on their fit out. We spent like twenty five thousand dollars because we were we just didn't want the risk because we'd never done it before. Mm. So that was mostly on the paint. <laughs> like <laughs> we just did the rest. <laughs> so I kind of think, you know, you can you can really downplay the risks by just taking little actions to make the risk smaller Mm. and then grow into it. So we thought, you know, if it does do really well and we do find that this looks a bit shabby in a few months, we can just run out then. Why Mm. would we do it all now when we don't even have a tested product? Um, And I think that's the view I've taken with every new project now is you definitely have to launch with something good. I mean, you don't want it to look half finished, but you don't have to launch with something that, you know, fit for Oprah because mm. you're probably not going to get to Oprah straight away. Yeah. So just like ease into things. Yeah. <laughs> that makes them a lot less yeah. scary when you know that you haven't mortgaged a house to fit it out. You've just, you know, you've put in an amount of money that you can probably make back or you're not going to die if you lose that money, you know. Mm. What's been your biggest lesson in starting Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar? Two things. One is, Another favorite quote of mine from Maya Angelou, people will never remember what you said or what you did. They'll always remember how you made them feel. Mm. 
Yeah. I think in business we worry so much about like the exact wording and the spacing of the letters and the font and the blah, blah, blah. Like no one remembers that stuff. They really don't. They remember their experience. They remember, yeah, Yeah. how you spoke to them. They they don't remember what you say. They remember how you say it. Um, So I've always like agonized over the detail because of the way you're supposed to, but. I had to switch that and think, no, the detail is not, I mean, have attention to detail. It's a great quality, mm. but really if that's at the expense of you giving them a great experience, they're not going to care about your full stop being the right spot. Um, that was a huge learning because I was very much the other way first. I was like, we won't open unless everything's perfect. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. Like what a waste of time. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is the, the biggest lesson has been the one that I'm still learning and the one that was, the biggest lesson to begin with, which is just how to pace myself. Because mm. I'm, I get too excited. I, I still, Same. I probably learned, yeah, like yeah. you know, we, we know we've learned the lesson that we can overdo it, and yet I still do it, even yeah. though I know that <laughs> I still do it all the time. It's and I'm weird. like, dude, you, <laughs> like you're a smart girl. Come on. <laughs> uh, so I found that our inability to accept our own limits. And our the way that society makes it so easy for you to just go so fast. Mm. That's been a really big lesson for me. We're not we're not built for the pace that it's possible to go at. So we're going to have to resist it actively to keep ourselves healthy. Mm. Um, and that's still, I mean, I still like totally fail with it. So I think, I think we all we all do. <laughs> we all do, don't worry. Yeah, yeah it's life's about learning. And if you fail, totally. then pick yourself back up. It's all good at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just picking myself back up like often. And I'm like, really? <laughs> this is the fifth chapter. <laughs> it's like one every single day I'm picking myself back up. So don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, what, that's like, the beauty I of it. Oh, we learned day. this. We yeah. went over this. <laughs> yeah. Why am I doing it again? <laughs> yeah. I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, for you, Sarah, where did this idea of Seize the Yay come from? The, the podcast idea and creating a massive community where you're basically helping people and basically telling people to seize their yay, to have fun. Where did that come from? Uh, I think the, uh, so the actual idea and the name came to me in like 2017. So I registered the business name then. I so lived like such a lawyer thing to do. I yes. um, didn't know what I was going to use it for. Yeah. I just knew. I woke up and I was like, there's this thing and it just describes exactly how I feel about life. I feel like instead of seizing the day and seizing the emotions and the, the money and the raises and all that stuff, we should seize the joy. That is exactly mm. what we should do. And if we focus everything on that, everyone would be much better off. Um, but I still didn't really know for a while how I would use that or what I would put it into. And I, I sort of, we built Matcha into this amazing community and I thought, do I make it something within that or like should it be on its own? And I think one of the things about comfort zones is you take one big step out, you start to pat yourself on the back and you kind of think like, I'm done. I've done my big mm. step, like good, I'm finished. Whereas I think I had, you know, done matcha we'd spent three or four years building a big business and then I was like oh wait you mean I have to take another step out of the conversation like what is, what is this <laughs> and I think I just got into the point where as matcha got bigger it became very limited by 
brand guidelines. Like it's a food product, it's organic, it's Japanese, it's key. Anything that's not relevant to those themes doesn't really belong in the business because customers will just be like, why are you talking about a dog? Like mm. it's not relevant. Mm. Um, and so then I realized I have all male business partners. I've gone from having a very independent career to having nothing that is just my own. Maybe it's time to have a little hobby or something to keep matcha fresh. Maybe I need something for my joy that's mm. not got any financial implications. There's no deadlines. There's no, I'm not accountable to anyone. It's just a fun, um, you know, I, sh- I, I think it was time um, for my next kind of challenge because mm. I was ready. I was starting to feel itchy for like, what do I need to learn now? <laughs> and it, it took another year and a half before the idea for a podcast came up. And that was just because I was getting a lot more speaking gigs and I realized the conversations I would have backstage with other speakers were like the best part. Mm. I love listening to their speeches, but I was like, I learned way more from you when we were just hanging and you were just not filtering and not giving a structured talk, you know, talk. You were just going, you know, I had, you know, an anxiety attack this morning and I had my kids like food on me and like all the normal people (laughs) stuff. Um, and I thought, oh, what, what if I could do those? What if I could like share those chats about the yay? Mm. And then I, I was like, oh, maybe I do a YouTube channel and then I couldn't be bothered to do videos. <laughs> I was like, mm, podcast. Mm. And this was when they were just starting to become cool. Mm. So it wasn't totally foreign. It was a little bit more accessible, but there weren't that many podcasts. So it was kind of the right time or a random to just go, yep, yeah, I'm going to yeah. do one. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just, I, I think I had the idea, um, again, we took our first holiday in so long, two sleeps in of just having time off. I was like, new idea. Like, as soon as you take a break, you get ideas. And um, I was like, it's going to be a podcast. And then the next day I bought all the equipment. And then the next week I was like, well, I better ask a guest. Otherwise I'll never do it. <laughs> so it all happened very quickly. Wow. <laughs> and I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and you've been able to interview some amazing people. I mean, Guy and Jules Sebastian, you got Dom, you've got, um, you had Mona as well. You've, you've had some pretty amazing people. Like what's, if you can boil it all down to one thing that you've learned from all those people, I know it's probably a hard question. Mm-hmm. What would it be? Mm-hmm. Do you reckon? Oh, um, so many things. Gosh, I mm. think the the one thing that that has that I've taken the most is that we're all so weird in our own special way. Yeah. Like we are all excited by such different things. We don't really choose that. Most of the time when you ask them what they loved when they were a kid, they don't know why. Mm. We, I don't know why I loved certain things when I was a kid, but you know, you know the things that light you up. You know the mm. things that you don't like. We're all built just so differently. And the ones of us who are the happiest or the most successful are the ones who stick with that. Yeah. And who don't care that it's different. They're just like, I don't like, I'm a freaking weirdo, but I own it and I now have a job around it and I'm super successful because I didn't try and be something else. Yeah. I think um, just this, this pure difference of what what makes everyone sparkle yeah. and how important it is to figure out what that is for you and just stick to it. Mm. 
Mm. And that's in everything, not just job, but like even health and exercise. I think we all spend a lot of our life and predominantly probably in our 20s, that decade is all about like following other people's diets and training programs and blah, blah, blah. And then like you turn 30 and you're just like, fuck, I'm just going to do yeah. what I know works for me. Like mm. who cares what anyone else says works? You've got enough evidence by then to know that your body responds to certain things. Mm. And yeah, I think most of those people at the really upper echelons of their industries are there because they know themselves mm. and they just stick to it. Mm. They don't let expectation or shoulds or all that stuff get in the way. They just stick to what they know. Mm. That's amazing. So I am very mindful of your time. I do have two more questions for you. Uh, second last question is yeah, sure. three bits of advice that you could give to someone that is starting out, they're struggling or just needing a boost. Now, this could be in their life or in their business. Oh, goodness me. Three bits of advice. Um, dream big, plan small. So mm. this is new for me. I've just been writing the CBA book. And I feel like once every couple of months I have some big revelation of like some new <laughs> lesson. I'm like, oh, yes. And one of the ones that I've been practicing for ages and not realized that I was doing it is what we were talking about before. It's pretty much what helps you manage how scary things seem at the beginning mm. because it's all a mind game. Like nothing actually changes in whether or not you can do it. It's yeah. just whether you think you can do it or not that decides whether you start. And so the big thing that I've, been practicing is this idea that you have to have really big dreams. You have to believe that you could be a business person. You have to believe somewhere in your brain that you could make it work. But when you start, all you have to do is one task. Mm. All you have to do is the exact immediate next step to start your business. You don't have to start it all on one day. Mm. And I think that's why people don't start because they think it's the whole task and they get so scared and they're like, no, I can't do that. So they don't even begin. Whereas for us, all I ever wanted to do with Matcha Maiden was sell one bag of matcha, just Mm. one. All I needed was the equipment and the website and the whatever to sell one bag. My next goal was to sell two bags and then it was five bags and then it was 10 bags. It was never let's build a multi-million dollar all over global country with like dispatch facilities. You know, if I tried to even think of those things, I would have got way too scared and just Mm. quit before I even started. So I think, I think, yeah, have your really big dreams, but break it down into very, very small plans. What is step one? What is step two? What is step three? And just block out the rest of it because that's not relevant until step 10 doesn't matter if you can't do step one. Mm. So just focus on your immediate next thing and and try and and do whatever will help your brain not chicken out, if that Mm. makes sense. It does, yeah. (laughs) Um, The other one... (laughs) The other one is oh sorry, that's my golden retriever. You got a, you got a golden <laughs> retriever. We got a we got a German um, shepherd. Oh, shepherd to the bed. She's uh <laughs> she's a big baby. I'll I'll send you a photo of her after. She's oh um, my god, please do. Yeah. I love dogs. She's adorable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love German shepherds. They're so cute. I could talk um, forever. The second about one it. is similar, uh, but. Um, also something added. I could talk forever about it. Sorry to interrupt. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not at all. No, no. 
Oh, I like, yeah. Oh my God, we should, we have to do a slideshow after this. Yeah, it'd be so fun. <laughs> so many photos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the second thing I would say to people starting out is something I've struggled with a lot, but that's really helped me is done is better than perfect. Mm. You have to obviously get, you know, a certain amount of stuff ready so that your, you know, your product's legal or your ideas, <laughs> you know, actually work. But you definitely don't have to have it perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. You can waste so much time perfecting everything and then miss your opportunity to launch or never launch or a competitor launches first or, you know, there's so many reasons why sitting on things for too long is going to be a disadvantage for you. And also sometimes the longer you leave it, the less you're convinced it's a good idea and it's going to work. So just rip the Band-Aid, just get it done and then just put it out there because, you might think that getting it perfect is perfect, but what the market might like could mm. be completely different. So you might end up changing it all anyway. Yeah. So I think, you know, I used to really, because lawyers need everything to be perfect, that's what we're there for. It took me a really long time to stop agonizing over everything. And Nick was just like, are we going to launch this or not? Like we'll be here till flipping, you know, matches in the reject shop before you've decided <laughs> it's a thing. Um <laughs> Like it was trickled all the way down to the yeah. two dollar shop. Like, just hurry up. <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, just don't drop your standards so much that it's you know not a good product, but just relax on needing perfection because mm. it's better to just get it out there and test it and then fix it later on. Mm. Um, and the third thing is, you know, with some of the five people you spend the most time with. So just mm. like we were talking about before, if you're surrounded by five people who are really negative or not even negative, just conservative. If they're really uh, people who like stability and certainty and who are really in their little bubble, it's going to be really hard for you to convince them that what you're doing is a good idea. And you're going to be affected by the way that they see things. So if they're sort of sitting there going, oh, what about the money? You know, you do need to have one friend who's telling you those things. But if everyone around you is against, or not against, but if it's foreign to them and they're not on board, it's just mm. going to be so much harder for you to get things done. Mm. So I think um, surrounding yourself with energized, positive, exciting, uh, supportive people, they will get you over the line. They, mm. You have to do the work, but you need a cheer squad. And, you know, being in business or starting anything new, life is a roller coaster. Half my days are, oh, my God, this is amazing, and half of them are, I'm so shit, this is the worst. Like, yeah. what am I doing? It's like, Every day is up and down. It's meant to be that way. But you need people that on the down days, you still have to do your job. So you might as well have people who can like Pick help you, back you get up back and, in the right headspace. Yeah. That's great, Sarah. All great pieces of advice. My last question is sort of a fun one. Um, what is your favorite film, your favorite actor, and the last movie that you watched? Oh, man. Favorite film? Um, oh, I've got to think. <laughs> it's a fun question. <laughs> That's a really fun question. Um, I have so many favorite. We love movies. I love Netflix, but I also love movies. Um, oh my god, this is so hard. <laughs> I really love the Bourne series. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Really love that. I love, um, oh man, Black Hawk Down. I loved Black Hawk Down. 
I'm really into war. It's like one of the weirdest things in the world because I'm I'm so yay and it's weird that crime and war are like some of my favourite topics for books and movies. It's the weirdest. It's so weird actually. Um, The Kingdom, another Saudi Arabia, uh, Middle Eastern war one. The Green Mile, like all these war movies. (laughs) Wow. Did you like uh, Saving Private Ryan? I know. Loved it. Yeah, Uh, loved it. Good. (laughs) <laughs> Very good. Um, but, I, but I also love, um, oh, my God, The Sweetest Thing is one of my favorite movies. Oh, Bridesmaids is my all-time oh, favorite Oh, Bridesmaids, movie. yeah. I cracked up oh, with that dress scene. It's the, <laughs> it's the best movie oh. in the whole entire world. Yeah, definitely that, that's up there. Forrest Gump, like I love classics as well. Um, I'm really broad. Like I, I like a lot of different genres. I'll watch almost anything. Um, we go to the French Film Festival every year as well, and oh, there's wow. a movie that actually did really well in Hollywood uh, because it was dubbed into English. I think it's called The Untouchables. Uh, yes, um, yes, I know that and one. And it was it's in French with yeah. French actors, but it's uh, dubbed into English. It, have you watched it? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's they, they also what, turned like, it into a um, uh, Hollywood. I think did the same similar storyline. They turned it really? into an English version with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. No way. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So I think the French oh, version is it. so much better. But, you know, like you got Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. Who doesn't want to watch it? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I've got, yeah, I've got lots of favorite movies. But, yeah, Bridesmaids would definitely be. Do you have Bridesmaid. a favorite actor? Oh, favorite actor. Um, I'm obsessed with Jamie Dornan from Fifty Shades of Grey, um, but not not in Fifty Shades of Grey though. I didn't. I think uh, I was like, "Where's your facial hair?" <laughs> he looked like a twelve year old boy. He looked way better rugged. Um, he was my whole part for a while. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why though. I don't know. I don't know where I got it from because then when everyone's like, "Oh, from Fifty Shades," I'm like, "Not in Fifty Shades." He, he did not have facial hair, and I didn't like it. Um, he's out there. I love Brad Pitt. I love him. Um, and I think he's such a great actor. And too many old ones. I love like Marvel, all his old ones as well. Um, he's just hot. Like he's aged really well. Um, <sighs> apart the- from my like hot actor favorite, <laughs> in terms of like good actor favorite. <laughs> <laughs> we won't worry about the talent, um, just the way they look. <laughs> gosh, there's so many. <laughs> um, no, but I think uh, I think Tom Hanks is amazing. After. Yeah. Um, I mean, Denzel Brad, Washington, I really like Denzel. I, um, yeah, who else? I love Marion Cotillard. Yes, French she's, actress who she's does a lot great. of. Um, she yeah. did the one with Brad Pitt, the spy movie. Yeah. Um, oh, what was the name of that? I forgot that one. Um, oh, I know. Was, I know. It comes oh, to me after. I think she's like a cool. She did. Yeah. What? I, I'll remember it like her after. Movie. Yeah, I'll remember her movie after, like the title of it. Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I love. Yep. Um, I Tonya, was it the ice skating one? Yes. Was that her movie, the ice skating one? 
That's got um, Margaret Robbie in it, and I don't know if she's in it. I, I can't remember. It's yeah, it's, it's, I can't. I can't yeah. remember the movie that I loved her in, but um, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, I love. I think he's amazing. Like such a great actor. Um, Catch Me If You Can was like such a good movie. I love that movie. Yeah. What's yeah? He was. What's the but, um the uh, last movie that you watched? Right, I've watched it so many times. Oh, um, oh, that is a good one. Um, we've been watching a lot of TV shows. I don't think I've watched a movie in a while. Oh, I think it was. So, I love Harry Potter. Like, yes, same here. Harry Potter. <laughs> same. Nick love. Yeah, right? It's so good. Okay, so <laughs> I love Harry Potter. Nick loves Jurassic Park. Yes, okay. And we both just missed the other, like we both missed each other's age group of like which one is the best. So I made him watch all the Harry Potters. Then he made me watch all the Jurassic Park. So the most recent one that we watched was one of the Jurassic Parks. I can't remember that I fell asleep, so. I did not. Okay, I was I was late to watching all the Harry Potters. I actually I think I watched all the Harry Potters um last year, I think. So I was I was very late around Christmas time. Um because they all came on Netflix and I'm like, oh, I have How a, great are they? Oh, it's so good. I don't know. I, I was missing out on so much growing up. I tell you what, like when I finally actually sat down and watched them, I was like, far out. <laughs> I'm hooked. What have I missed? Yes, yes. Oh, dear. Oh, oh that's dear. funny. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm all caught up. So and I'm going to buy all the books and because what I like doing is uh, if a book has been turned into a movie, I like reading the book. The book. Yeah. The books are like the movie. times one million. Oh, They're amazing. Cool. Glad I, yeah, glad that we, um, yeah. yes, awesome. <laughs> totally, totally going to watch it now. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for helping me to seize my A as well. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. Um, thank you once again for your time. And I'm going to leave you with a photo of my, my German Shepherd, if you can see her. Oh my god, what a sweetheart. How little baby. She's um she's one year old. Yeah. Oh I love dogs so much. She's got one hell of a personality. She's what? One? She's only one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a cutie. Yeah. We lost our other oh. one uh, last year in, in January. So we bought Another one three weeks oh, after. No. And here's the interesting thing. Oh, fun, good. <laughs> fun fact. She actually reminds us all. She's got the very, very same traits as our old dog. It's scary. Like. No way. It's like you've, you've got our old dog's personality times 10 with this one. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. 
I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Fansom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.